I am Steph Reed. I am the director of the Flat River Community Library. Hello, my name is Kara McKellian. I'm a circulation clerk here at the Flat River Community Library. This is uh, Corey Smith, the senior staff writer at the Daily News here in Greenville. Welcome to the Flat River Front Porch. Oh, welcome to our third episode of the Flat River Front Porch. I am Steph Reed. I am the director of the Flat River Community Library. And I'm continuing my trip of jumping between all of our staff members who are all at least feigning enthusiasm about participating <laughs> in our podcast process. But this is a nice opportunity to get to know all of our staff a little bit more. So sitting down with me today is... Hello, my name is Kara McKellian. I'm a circulation clerk here at the Flat River Community Library. I am a master's student getting my degree in library science, if you can believe that. It's unbelievable that you work in a library and you're getting a degree in library science. That's unprecedented. People don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just crazy like that. That's all living on the edge, definitely, because yeah. the, there there is nothing edgier and more punk than, than a library. Than, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Um, so if you listen to the last episode, you know that hired at the same time, someone else whose name was spelled the same, but who was pronounced differently named Kara, who is our resident comic book artist. So that would make you the other half of that yes. dyad. I'm so happy. <laughs> I've never been in a place with so many Kara's and Kara's, like spelled in that way. Actually, at the last library I worked at, somebody else was named Kara as well, but hers was spelled with a K. So there was at least that level of like differentiation, um, but not here. Was it pronounced the same way? No. Okay. So th- I guess that's something. At least you yeah. had different initials, mm-hmm. which that's caused yeah. a mild <laughs> amount has. of confusion. Yeah. This is what constitutes library drama, apparently, is people with similar that's sounding names. Part There's a small devious part of me that was like, you should have gotten into this intense rivalry from day one. And I'm going to destroy the other Kara Kara so because... N- she's so nice, though. I cannot. I don't think I could do that personally. I think she would the winner maybe she just seems nice maybe you both just seem nice maybe it's you're playing the long game here that's true maybe you're not just trying to get the other one fired you're also trying to slowly destroy i don't know why i'm a horrible person clearly but that is not true don't say about my friend stephanie I say that to Josie all the time, and I'm like, "Don't say that about my friend Josie." Josie needs like, to hear it, and I'm and I will corner Josie on this at some point, um, whether she likes it or not. I may have to record when she doesn't know she's being recorded, because otherwise, I don't, I can't pick participating of her own choice. But yeah, I love that you call me your friend Stephanie because <laughs> this might be the first time we've had an actual conversation yeah. other than in the interview process. So it's, it's nice to get. A- an ex- excuse to, yeah. to sit down and talk to you. So I was really nervous during my interview and it was probably really obvious. So I'm glad I can actually just talk and not be like freaked out. <laughs> like having a panic attack. I, was it really that I was, bad? It was like I went home and I was like telling my mom like I that was so bad. Oh. It was the worst interview I've ever done. Really? Okay. Yeah. But then you guys called me anyway. So it's like, okay, cool. I guess it wasn't that bad. I guess I get two things. One. Um, never underestimate the general population's interview skill because mm-hmm. interviewing is really hard. hard. And I think the vast majority of people who are not narcissists think that they don't interview well. So mm-hmm. it makes sense. Um, and then the other thing is, like, I, always, I think we always sound much more nervous than we actually yeah. are. 
And there's a certain amount of accounting for librarianness in there as well, mm-hmm. that less so than it used to be, but there is quiet stoicism that mm-hmm. can come with librarianship. I have to say, for anyone who has not had the chance to come in and meet you since you started a couple months ago, you just exude librarian. Thank you. I think <laughs> I feel like your whole vibe is very librarian-y. And I don't like, know if that's a product of getting my degree in that. And I also keep slowly got, yeah, keep waking like up it, with new cardigans yeah, in her. Like class. I don't yeah, like they just start appearing and I'm like, oh my gosh, like where did these come from? It's like the Santa Claus, but it's yeah, the librarian. Exactly. And like every time you take off the cardigan, there's another one underneath yeah, it. It's getting to be an issue. And thank God Taylor Swift exists to give me more cardigans because she just keeps coming out with them. So I will never run dry, I guess. I'm gonna ask a dumb question. Does Taylor Swift actually have a brand of cardigans? Yeah, or so, I did not know um, that. She has a song called Cardigan. I did know that. Uh, and so as she's been redoing her albums under her name, her little Taylor's version, um, she has also been releasing cardigans. And okay. And they're very expensive. I think we all know that she's struggling financially she's... and we need to support her so that... Person of the um... year, she needs our help. Yeah. <laughs> Where is that Taylor Swift charity out there to just to not in her name for like actual needy mm-hmm. people to make sure that Taylor Swift is OK, maybe emotionally OK. Maybe we need I mean, something yeah. to to try to slowly encourage her to make songs about being happy in relationships. She's got some. She is in a very successful relationship. And obviously, I know her. on TV. Yeah. If you ever watch Please, a Kansas City I game. Yeah. Called Taylor up and I said, Taylor. How's it going? And she was like, it's great. So I'm happy for her. I think that's fulfilling her emotionally. Okay. So we've gotten it directly. Yeah. So she's doing good. Do not, anyone listening, if you were worried about Taylor Swift, stop worrying. Don't worry. Let's find some other things to worry about Mm -hmm. instead. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about you a little bit. Obviously, our podcast is aimed at people in our community, uh, people who live here and whatnot, um, and people who have a history in the community or um, maybe don't have a huge history in the community. Where do you fall on that spectrum? So I moved to the lovely little town of Greenville in June. I actually moved to Michigan in January and I was living in the Hudsonville, Allendale zone. Um, but I moved up here with my parents um, as a post-grad student and I have been living here ever since. And it's been very nice. I really like it here. It's such a cute little town. Before that, I lived in northern Missouri in Springfield, which is like the third largest city, basically, apart from Kansas City and St. Louis. Most people not really on their like destination. Not a lot to not a lot going on down there. I haven't heard a whole lot of Missouri tourism. Yeah, as somebody who lived there for I think I lived there for like 10-ish years. I wouldn't really recommend it. <laughs> is there any is there anything at all interesting to do down there? Yeah, so it's really pretty down there. There's like a lot of caves if you're into that. I am very scared of caves. Okay. So I was not into that, but the St. Louis Arch is pretty cool. They have a really awesome aquarium down there. The it's like a Bass Pro. It's attached to the Bass Pro. And I Oh, remember, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I remember growing up, it was like such a big deal because like literally since I moved there, which was like in two thousand eight or two thousand nine. They were working on this, like, attachment to our giant Bass Pro. And they finally got it done, I think, in 2019 or 2020. 
And it's like really cool. Like they did a really good job on it. It's I think it's called like the Johnny Morris Aquarium or something like that. I'm assuming that's a person. Yeah. He's like the guy that he's the Bass Pro guy. I think the Bass. Okay. I don't really know the, the Bass Pro I guy. I don't really know the Bass Pro lore, unfortunately. Okay. But that is not a part of the repertoire that you bring no, to. Unfortunately not. Okay. I, maybe one day. But <laughs> maybe one day I'll have the Put on belt. the bucket list. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was like they have. It's like a very impressive aquarium, so I would recommend that if you're ever in the area. But I don't know how I feel about the fact that an aquarium Mm -hmm. whose sole purpose is to house marine life Mm -hmm. is attached to a business whose purpose is primarily to kill marine life. That does seem a little bit ironic. I I can't imagine I'm the first person to point that out. No, definitely not. It's weird because when you go into the aquarium, like there's an entrance in the Bass Pro. Oh, so okay. you can go in there from there and then go like on the boats and stuff and hang okay. out or you can go look at fish. OK, which is what I chose to do. So. It seems like a philosophical decision. Yeah. And like, I'm sure that's what Johnny Moore is ended when right. he made this aquarium. It's like it's the circle of life. Yeah. OK, so you left Missouri. Yes. You've jumped around a little bit other places as well. Yes. Um, last year, or not last year, it's been longer than that, is I think two years ago. I lived in Boston for a year. Um, I worked in a library there as well. I also did that in Missouri, if that's surprising to anyone. She's just a library lone wolf, just yeah, riding the wind, okay. jumping from one library to the next. <laughs> I didn't think it was that funny, but thank you. <laughs> it was funny. Um, <laughs> I would not describe myself as lone wolves. So you do you travel in packs, me. yeah? I don't like you're either. a pack traveler because you and you've traveled with family mm-hmm. a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But no, I went to Boston alone, and so that was like basically my first like actual like living away from home experience, and it was horrifying because it was during COVID. Right. So, like, it was basically just like me in this like horrible little downstairs apartment, like okay, in the ground, and um, I don't know if I should say this, but there were um towards the end of my lease, there were like dead like rats outside of my window my window um so that was my experience there from what like where did they come from it sounds like it was something that there were multiple ones that you saw in that specific time frame so something must have happened to them disappearing i don't know why um the trash was out there maybe they were i don't know maybe they just I would feel honored if they thought that like my window was their final resting place and they just that's where they felt good to Pass, but something tells me that's not what you were feeling no, at the time I, no okay. was, was that part of why you left <laughs> so after that apartment I found a new apartment and that's when I was like really working at the library that was a super great experience <laughs> I, like, I was, that was really, when I really like so that was like post-covid basically when things were kind of starting to be a little more normal so I had a different apartment that was a lot nicer Took the train to work every morning. Lovely little experience. But that first, those first few months, were they were just brutal. Out there. They were not awesome. But that's okay. Because okay. Fast. Were there non-rat related things that you did enjoy about the Boston area? Honestly, I didn't really get to explore the city that much because I, because of COVID. And so I like, oh, I went to Salem and because that's where I was originally going to base myself out of. 
That didn't work out. And then I also really wanted to go to the aquarium up there. Okay. I tried to go whale watching. That didn't work out. Are there, um, is that a thing yeah, out there? It's on the harbor. Okay. And so they offer like tourist whale watching experiences. And I just, I really wanted to see a whale. So I wanted to go out there, but the waves were like too much and bunch everybody got seasick. Hell's on that can kind of summarize my experience. <laughs> like that's just Massachusetts of... made me seasick and exactly. I had to leave. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you want to talk about that? The road to where you are at the moment. Yes, I sure can. As a young child, I always thought I was going to work with animals. I wanted to be a vet. And then when I was like, I don't know, like in first grade, I went to the like animal health section of Barnes and Noble and I opened up a book and I found like a random page of this chihuahua with like cast on him. And okay. it, just, it did something to my heart. And I was like, I could not do this as a profession. Um, as a vet. And then I was like, if I ever worked as a vet and I had to see animals in pain all day, I would be so unhappy. And so I shifted gears and I was like, I want to be, I want to do something with animals. I want to work in a zoo. I want to be a marine biologist, zoologist, that sort of thing. I was living in Missouri, so there's not really any marine biology to study. So in high school, I ended up working in my high school library and I was like, okay, well, this is like, you know, feels good. It's chill in here. And then I just kind of went from there. And that's, I think, what set me on the library path. I was also really into history, specifically like ancient history and just all kind of very like the public history sort of thing, like very domestic um, day-to-day life. So the common history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not really into wars or anything like that. Common ancient history. That's an interesting, that's almost anthropological, depending on how far back you're going. Where's your area way too much about? It changes every year. But like for the past few years, it's been um, like ancient Mesopotamia, basically. I love that. I love Constantinople, that kind of era. Okay. Very cool. But I kind of jump around. I like just the areas of history, any area of history where I can see people being people. Okay. Um, that's what I like. about it. it brings a certain sense of comfort to know that yeah. like, people are fundamentally the same and generally like pretty good and sweet and funny. And I just I really like that. It's, it's interesting having that focal point and going that far back mm-hmm. because the records are so limited exactly. that, and the records were mostly going to be of political activities mm-hmm. you know monarchy and whatnot yeah there it definitely is harder to yes. find aspects of real day-to-day life even a couple thousand years yeah. after that yeah what made you specifically was that something you were exploring career-wise yeah so i went to community college for my first two years of college and got all my gen eds out of the way um it was really good because my high school basically paid for that so it was two years of college pretty much free which was lovely And then during the kind of transition period from that to a four-year degree, that's when COVID hit. So I like had to kind of figure something out where it was like, what am I going to do that's not going to completely run my wallet broke without, because everyone was online during that time. And so I didn't want to sign up a school that was going to cost me like $30,000 and then it's just going to be online and I don't really get anything from it. So instead, I decided to a Bachelor of Information Science program from the University of Maine. They are one of the few places that offer a bachelor's in information and library science. And honestly, I really thought they did a great job with their program. And I feel like that should be more of like the standard for being a librarian rather than getting the master's level. Yeah. Because there's a lot of overlap between what I did then and what I'm doing right now. Um, Yeah. Fun fact for those of you who are not 
immersed in this stuff. For someone to be considered a professional librarian, typically a master's in library science is required. However, when you walk through the doors to our library, there are going to be a pretty limited number of people who actually have that degree. The rest are library staff members who closely interact with a lot of that stuff, it, especially in the smaller libraries. There's a lot of overlap on what responsibilities are. And there's definitely controversy as to like whether that degree mm -hmm. is necessary or not. What are you hoping to do with it once you're there? So my focus is in archives and records management. Um, again, back to the more like historical records and that kind of thing. Um, obviously, that is a very niche area, so it's a little difficult to find a job um, in that historical zone. But I luckily am also very interested in administrative, any sort of organizing record keeping I am so down with. It just it brings a certain peace to my heart to these things. So, yeah, I'd be down to work um, in anything in that sort of area. Like, even if it's sleep, back to Bass Pro, this is weird. Weird. <laughs> this has never yeah. been said, back to Bass Pro yeah. here. When I, so on, in my final semester of undergraduate study, I um, interned at the State Historical Society of Missouri. And my internship manager, she actually moved on to be Bass Pro's, like, digital record keeper basically okay and so she gets to deal with like all of their historic materials so like all of their old promotional materials from like the 70s and that's pretty cool to me honestly and i might be in the minority when i say i want to just work with old papers all day that'd be cool with that i think it's really cool i think that's what a lot of library enthusiasts yes. picture when they yeah. approach the mm -hmm. concept of being a librarian it's like the boring side of yes. Indiana Jones, basically. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's old churches with musty basements mm -hmm. full of scrolls and whatnot, like the Library of Alexandria. Yeah. So I get it. I have run across a handful of people who have done corporate librarianship mm -hmm. over the years. It's not the sort of thing that you normally think about, no. but especially if you're not big on the people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Libraries, which, um, again, spoiler alert, I think some librarians are just, they prefer books to people. Yeah. So that's just their comfortable, introverted niche, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think I would consider myself um, quite on that spectrum, but I do like work organizing things, and that's mostly where that comes from. But I love talking to people at the library, too, because everybody has a little story to share, I guess is the kind of point of this podcast. And it's just so fun talking to them and being like, oh, yeah, you're reading this James Patterson book. I've never heard of it, but I'll talk to you about it. More than likely, the reason you've never heard of it is because it came out 30 seconds ago yeah. because <laughs> there are three million James mm -hmm. Patterson books. Yeah. It, you know, book shaming is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, there's literally nothing wrong with reading James Patterson. Exactly. I mostly have my own durations with James Patterson from the writing perspective because so I have two master's degrees and my first one is an MFA in creative writing. Wow. And so it raises my ire knowing that he mm -hmm. doesn't actually write his books anymore. Yeah. Um, that his name is just attached as a brand, but whatever. I wonder if he's proud of that, like that legacy of having kind of, you know, solidified himself as like figure or if it's, I don't know. I feel like that would get dehumanizing. I don't know. I have a feeling the checks help yeah, a lot. <laughs> exactly. I feel like you're that. Yeah. 
exactly. Yeah, I mean, to a certain, yeah, he is a brand to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe he's reached a point in his career where he wants to be an administrator as opposed to a writer. This seems like a good point to go ahead and transition. It's interesting enough that our interview this week is with somebody who has their own fingers in lots of paper. And that is Corey Smith from The Daily News. I am sitting down today with uh, a name that is probably recognizable for a lot of people in the community, or at least a face who's recognizable to a lot of people in the community, Uh, although obviously you can't see his face right now. But I'm actually going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. So if you could tell us who you are, where we can find you on an average day, and what you're up to. Yeah, this is uh, Corey Smith, the senior staff writer at The Daily News here in Greenville. As far as where people can see me, obviously uh, six days a week. You can read my work in the Daily News, aside from Sundays. And uh, as far as where you can see me otherwise, I'm out and about everywhere. Yeah, I was going to um, say, you're everywhere. Gr- Greenville's my beat. So from city government to the schools to ribbon cuttings to more serious accidents and other events in the community, yeah, it's, it's my job to, to be there for all of it and to convey uh, those stories to the community. January 2nd, I'll have been there 12 years now at the Daily News, which it's it's fun. It's I grew up in this community. I'm a 2004 Greenville High School graduate. Just grew up nearby in Oakfield Township out on my parents' farm there on Lincoln Lake Road. After coming back from earning my education at Michigan State, I came back to my hometown paper. It's been a nice arrangement ever since. Okay. How would you describe yourself in three words? So you have to describe you. And then to flip that, how do you think the community sees you? In three words? I'm... I, have you read how long my stories are? Um, <laughs> but that's part of journalism is being succinct sure, and getting right sure. to the point. To just choose three words that I would think would describe me is uh, one, dedicated. Two, I'll use the word integrity. And three, I'll throw the word passion in there as well. And those three words I combine together, I think if you read my stories over the years and look through my photography and see me interacting in the way I handle stories, I think all three of those apply to the way I try to treat the subject matter I'm approaching, whether it's a tragic story or just a fun human interest piece. I try to keep those things at the forefront as I'm diving in, along with being accurate, of course, with the reporting. But One would hope. Anyway. Yes, that's always the goal, the, to be fair and balanced, as they say. Um, yeah, I, let's not use those I terms. know, <laughs> I know, I know. And then the second part of that question was how... Um, how, do you, how do you think the community sees you? Sees me? It probably depends on how they've interacted with me, if they've had that chance. On the whole, I, I th- this is my hope anyways, is that people see me as a valued source of reliable information in the community. I would hope that in the dozen years that I've been writing at the paper that I have earned the respect of our readership, that the stories that I and my colleagues write at the paper, that they can tell that we are striving our best to present accurate, detailed information, that we don't want to be misleading, that we don't want to or exploit anybody fine lines with all of that, depending on writing about, but I uh, hope by now I've earned that trust, you know, so, so when something does happen, you know, people can turn to, if they see an article in the paper and go, oh, Corey wrote that. And they're going to read that knowing that I was at that event and that it's going to be accurate. It's going to be fair to both sides of whatever I may be writing about. It's in a while, a pretty contentious event does pop up that requires research on both sides to make sure that uh, everybody's being heard. Anytime you are reporting on local government in particular, mm-hmm. we bring the drama. Like it <laughs> it can get more interesting than you would expect it to necessarily. Yeah. Since COVID and in a day, we just had a firestorm here. After COVID mm-hmm. was introduced, that already set a lot of people on edge, right, wrong or indifferent. And then shortly after that, 
we had a company come in with proposals for wind turbines, uh-huh. doing land leases, and that also um, upset a lot of people. And those two things combined between trying to hold meetings in a safe manner, right. manner and then welcoming up to 100 people at, who outraged individuals who uh-huh. want to express their thoughts on an issue like that, it was a lot. So as much as some people might think like covering a, a rural township meeting is an interest for, for the last three to four years in Montcalm County, they've been more than interesting, much more. Uh, it's just it's been a lot to handle. So, yeah, for better or worse, uh, people have been in our area, certainly engaging much more with local government, Yeah, which, which is which is a good thing to see. You don't want to just stand by the wayside and and not hold your local government accountable. if Things are going wrong and you want to, you know, checks and balances, all of that. But uh, it's just it's escalated just based on the issues that have been thrust into and no fault of the township at the time, at least. They're not the ones that welcomed the company in to do that, to bring in proposals right. for SAP. But. And that's just one example of how people can get on edge from about the topic. And for me, it's great. I love hearing you know, why they're upset. And I'll tell that story and I'll sell the side of the public official story. And it's kind of up to the readers to, to read both sides and, and see how they feel about that particular issue. I can imagine that has gotten more difficult because suddenly now on the local level, we're experiencing controversy that would not typically have come to a local forum. Um, or to a you know a school board meeting for that matter. That's very true. Yeah, it's tough. I've watched I've watched uh, township officials be recalled. I've watched school board members resign in large amounts. Actually, in large yeah. amounts. Yeah, it's and depending on what side of the spectrum you're on, it, okay. it is very complicated. I, I try to not put my opinion into the matters because I'm the one covering it and I need to remain unbiased. But it's been interesting because there was no real past precedent for mass recalls or resignations from, you had school board meetings moved into the auditorium to account for over 100 to 150 people. Many of them, you know, outraged at the way the school district was having to operate within state guidelines and everything else related to health issues uh, during the time of COVID. And that was the outlet people had, you know, they could, they weren't going to go to Lansing and scream at the Capitol, but they were able to go to local you know, school board or or city council meetings and express their thoughts in that matter and be heard, which is important. You know, there's a reason public comment is an agenda item. Absolutely. It's, you know, I'm not trying to take away from it at all, but it definitely has made for um, what used to be meetings that were, oh, this is what's on the agenda. This is what I'm covering tonight. My agenda as a journalist tonight is to see how public ha- comment is going to go. Right. That would came the focus of the meetings. Okay. Yeah. And there were, you know, there's a number of meetings I've covered where Government officials or school officials, they requested the presence of a police officer or a sheriff's mm-hmm. deputy. You know, they they took that step and right. just out of precaution, not right. knowing just the, how, how things may escalate. It really depends on the governing body. I, there are some that are very strict with their time limit for people on public mm-hmm. comment from three to five minutes. And they've got a counter on the screen showing right. everybody how much time they have left. And then there are others that are much more casual and it's kind of almost at the discretion of the like township supervisor, say. I've also watched those types of meetings kind of devolve into a, a shouting match. Right. Um, not just between officials and residents in the audience, but between resident and resident and people on the right. opposite side of a particular issue. That when you see that kind of lack of civility, it uh-huh. just doesn't seem to do well for anybody. And when right. it reaches that point and you can't have decorum, we're a little more removed now from that when we weren't quite as prepared for it. We probably won't see again for a while, but... Um, yeah, it is nice to at least have seen it calm down a little bit. So for anyone who doesn't know, we have a contract with the Daily News for its archives 2010 back, including its predecessors. So we've got archives from the Greenville Independent going back to the 1850s. Um, I access them regularly online. They're so, so much fun. They are. They're in great shape, too. They're mm-hmm. reasonably searchable. 
Um, so we're really grateful that we have digitally accessible. It means that if you're going back into some of those older newspaper articles, it's really interesting to compare what journalism looks like for you, what that journalistic standard is compared to what you would read if you're going back to 1860. A little different, for yeah. sure. <laughs> a little more editorialized. Um, I thought uh, I would share with you a couple of fun yeah. ones that I grabbed just because yeah. just it's just an interesting thing to explore. Hey, real quick, when I uh, first started the paper, I did a uh, documentary style video on Blackfield. Because oh, okay. it was it was 2011. Mm-hmm. It was the last season before Legacy was opening. Right. I dove into the archives and and yes, you do find these threads and you you just go deeper and deeper and mm-hmm. deeper and uh, you know it's it's time consuming. It uh, yeah, it, it leads to just a, a treasure trove of information. Right. Um, it can also be you know where did the time go type of scenario. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I the thread I happened to be pulling this time was um, after the the county building burned in Stanton mm. in the early part of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And and they were making decisions as to whether to rebuild that, that county building in Stanton or to move the county seat to Greenville. Um, so there's a little bit of back and forth drama with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite part about this is the fact that they made absolutely no attempt to keep their own bias out of it. Right. Um, so the ballot in 1905 was to decide whether to bond the county to rebuild, rebuild the, the courthouse and jail in Stanton. And not surprisingly, by an overwhelming amount, nobody wanted to spend $40,000 to rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the city of Greenville at the time was was um, going to donate $40,000 for the building of new county buildings if they moved the seat to Greenville. Okay. Um, so they were deciding whether to to do that or not. No one can deny that Greenville is most generous in offers of donations to secure the county seat, nor will anyone deny that the taxpayers of the county will save themselves a great burden of expense if Greenville's donation is accepted by a vote of the people of the county. Um, And that is actually one of their more mild, like, offering their opinion. (laughs) I mean, a statement like, no no one can deny, based on who's it. Right. I mean, actually, it's the writers. So in that instance, yeah. You don't see that from us today. I mean... Occasionally, we write a column-style piece on something, but no worries. But it's very clearly designated as such. Yeah. Yeah, yes, a clear yes. line. Um, what I find to be entertaining about that, that is the, is the amount of minutia that ends up in the mm-hmm. in the paper. So this, this like, just a free-form list of sentences on completely unrelated topics. Dr. C.F. Morgan has returned from Dakota. O.W. Green has a new safe. Um E.H. Jones and his wife are visiting New York State. It's like just every time somebody has visitors, they it goes in the paper. It, and that's I don't know. I can only imagine back then, like how how did that information get shared? Like how, right. I mean, are people like stopping into the Daily News office, getting out for vacation to let them Maybe. know they're leaving? Is it? I mean, part of that leads me to believe those kind of trips were probably a luxury back then. So yes, probably. you know, maybe they're just that. That's their source of entertainment is to hear how other people were leaving and then eventually returning to the community. I, right. Yeah. You know, it's, or like, can you go back and talk to them again? Like, right, are they are right. they home? Because I mean, a trip to Grand Rapids in those days was was. I mean, that's an adventure. Right. Well, and even there's even one in here that says uh, Mr. and Mrs. Kirk entertaining. Mr. and Mrs. Gale of of Lowell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. came all the way from Lowell to, to come visit them. All the ones that have crimes that have occurred mm-hmm. and the way that they depict those. A prominent Beldings businessman and one of our well-known Fair Plains farmers, becoming somewhat enthused over one of the races at our fair last week, backed up their opinion in a financial manner, placing their stakes in a bystander's hands. And surprise, surprise, at the close of the race, they turned to get the money when they saw their stakeholder making himself scarce. <laughs> so you, 
you've got three unnamed sources right there. I just thought it's like, what, what, what are we even reading? But, well, I think that the, uh, the first one's probably only unnamed because right, they had right, their money right. stolen. Both started in hot pursuit, but without avail. <laughs> Man getting away in the crowd. Oh, yeah, I love the ones like that. And then this was the last one I was going to mention because I just thought that was this was funny and kind of passive aggressive. This was on the front page, by the way. Here's a week's result of unsolicited subscriptions of the Greenville Independent. Eight of these are new, never having taken the paper. Don't borrow. Please subscribe. And it's a list of people's names who use their like neighbor's newspapers. Really? So they like shamed them on the front page for, wow. not, for not being subscribers. Uh, and to, you know, as much as we encourage people to today, we're not going to shame anybody for. Yeah, it was a different time. Yeah, <laughs> they, they can deal with the frustration of the paywall and everything else that we have on our website. It, it, that's just the reality of it today. As much as I hear people say the news should be free. And I try to tell them, you know, today's day and age, I'm sorry, but, you know, between advertising and uh, subscription revenue, that's right. You know, Especially with, I, a, with a small yeah, newspaper. Yeah, it's we're a handful of reporters and, and, you know, advertisers and graphic designers who do what we can. But yeah, paid too. It is a job. It is. We are, yeah, we are a small. We are a small business in the community. And this, I do think that, I mean, this is my personal opinion, but I do think the subscription price that you have for your, for the newspaper is very reasonable. Yeah. I think it's, if you compare it to other publications, it's, yeah, it's going to be reasonable in comparison to your alternatives are the Grand Rapids Press or the Lansing State Journal. We have the Ionia Sentinel Standard as well for some Ionia coverage and there's the Lakeview, Lakeview, but we, we don't feel that they're, you know, outrageous by any means. And we understand if people can't, you know, if they can't afford it, we, we understand we're not scolding anyone who doesn't subscribe. It just becomes a little bit of a personal irritation when, you know, we do have right, stories run yeah. and people say, oh, how is this? What do you mean I have to subscribe? And they say, well, if you want to watch a show on Netflix, unless you're using right. a password, you've got to be a subscriber. If you want to watch cable TV, you subscribe. You know, I, there aren't very many free services in life. And the newspaper is one of those that's not free. Ne- right. Never has been. You know, back before right. it, back before there was online, it, you you paid your quarter or 50 right. cents to get your paper. So I'm definitely gr- grateful that it's something that still exists in this community because obviously so many other uh, more local newspapers have folded. It's, it's a really fantastic resource for what is going on in our area, mm-hmm. too. Um, I feel that there would be a lot that's that's happening in the Ionia Montcalm area that mm-hmm. I wouldn't be aware of and for for that. So Yeah, the only time your television stations are gonna float into town quickly is when there's a, a pretty serious tragedy. Right. It's event. never a good reason. No. no. So I mean I, you know the, the credit where credit's due, there are stations that do some nice human interest piece, especially with education. Mm-hmm. Um no, I, they're Grand Rapids stations for a reason. And we right. are on the very outskirts of that region. So it's just the nature of the industry. They're not gonna come out here unless for the most part. But that's where my argument is you can pick up the daily news six days a week. You're going to find your local content coverage of, you know, your local sports teams and every, right. everything else to, to the best of our ability with a, a fair limited staff. Absolutely. What is the most peculiar local tradition you've come across? A peculiar local tradition? There was a period, obviously, that you were not a Greenvilleite, that you were elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like you realize some things about the the environment you grew up in that you're like, okay, well, maybe it's not like this everywhere? Yeah, to be fully tra- I grew up here uh, in Greenville. Um, that was essentially my world growing up. Now, I had a little bit of a d- uh, different perspective because growing up, um, my mother was from Norway. Okay. And so that entire side of my family is still in Norway. She's the only one who's here in the United States, aside from my grandparents who've now passed. But um, so I had regular overseas trips, you know, every so many years. Mm-hmm. And so I did get to experience things outside this particular area in West Michigan. But 
no, going to uh, college at Michigan State and living uh, even even after uh, concluding my education there and living in Lansing and, and at the Lansing State Journal and you know work uh, working in a much larger city. Um, no, uh, you know the horizons were kind of broadened. And you do realize um, it is things are much more, I don't want to use like the phrase narrow-minded or closed-minded, but there, it is a little small town. Mm-hmm. You, you, it, it's just the, the nature of, now things have changed a bit with with social media, the internet, you know, you're a click away from any other part of the world, but uh, there's still something different about being immersed in those other sections. I do, when I talk to certain people who are Greenville and yeah, they can be, and I'm not faulting them for this, but they can be a little bit stuck in their ways. Mm-hmm. I, I look at like my dad, but he can be very, you know, when the decision was made to clo- close Blackfield and have Legacy Field instead, mm-hmm. he was very upset. You know, yeah. that was the field he played on. That was the field that's been around for a hundred years. Ask him today and his, his perception has completely changed. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Not everyone was happy with spending nearly $7 million on a football stadium. But when people do go there and experience football games or other events, you know, they, they can take in just how valuable a facility that is for uh, the students in the district and get over the the nostalgia that was something like Blackfield. And in, in a smaller town like that, I think nostalgia does tend to play a very large factor in uh-huh. things. People are less likely to embrace change because of that and we're in a community that has been growing pretty rapidly over the last five six years yeah absolutely so you know and i attend meetings where housing proposals have been have come before the planning commission and people people in the audience the comment is given i hear it several times a year we don't want to be grand rapids right you do see it more a smaller town like this the most peculiar one to me starting out and they don't do it anymore and i'm which doesn't bother me at all but during this festival this is really niche but I, I have covered now 12 straight Danish festivals and, you know, I'm, I'm out there every day. I'm covering the parades, um, a handful. My goal is over for, for about five straight days that the paper just covers pretty much every aspect of the festival, mm-hmm. especially as it, I was continuing to grow and recover from the pandemic. But one of the events that always just kind of boggled my mind was the princess and the pea bed race. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just as far as traditions go. And, I, and it was it was always a very short event. And they struggled to find people to do it. And they probably didn't always struggle to find participants. But the first time I covered that, I just thought, what is happening? What is they're, they're on a hospital bed. They're flying down Clay Street. They're going around cones. They're coming back. They hop out and then they wolf down an ice cream bar. And it was just the most peculiar thing. And I can only imagine if somebody from Denmark was here uh-huh. and watched that. And they're thinking, this is the Danish festival. Okay. And I get it. Princess and the P, you know, we're talking Hans Christian Andersen stories and everything right. else. Um, and so I got it in that regard, but it was just very peculiar. That's in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do just to lack of interest and participation. But that's just one example of something where, oh, that's a thing, apparently. I love those niche things, especially if it, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of logic. And even if it's borderline, I wouldn't say offensive, but you're just like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What popped into my mind when you said that is I, I lived in Colorado for about a decade mm-hmm. when I went to grad school. And there in the Boulder area, there's a mountain town that annually has a festival called Frozen Dead Guy Days. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what the lore that was associated with it. I'm assuming it was because some it, it was a mining area and yeah. someone obviously got too far in the mountains and didn't make it back. They have coffin races. Mm-hmm. They do it every single year and it, bring, sure. it draws people in from all over because it's so... And and odd. There's definitely some value in holding on to those um, ostensibly somewhat absurd sure. customs. And, and, and to jump back on the other side of the coin, and I'm sure I have probably likely upset some people, you know, with my take on those who have been Greenville citizens their whole life and, and are kind of just ingrained in the community and 
may not embrace change as much, but it's that same mentality that I tell people when they go, oh, is Greenville a bedroom community? And I can say, well, it isn't. It, it is a bedroom community in the sense that so many people in this area commute Grand Rapids or Lansing right. areas. Greenville in itself has a proud sense of identity. And it's not just a suburb of Grand Rapids. It's right. anything but. We, we definitely have residents who live here and work in Grand Rapids, but there are so many various entrepreneurs and, and charitable organizations and just and even just the, the businesses that are around reinvest in the community mm-hmm. um, and, and a lot of individuals who those who have lived here their whole lives and give back in such tremendous ways. And I've covered that I've written stories about a lot of those efforts and everything else. And th- those are the things that you don't necessarily see in larger communities and th- and, or, yeah. or communities that don't have that sense of identity that are just a suburb of a larger community. Um, and, and Greenville has that in spades. It's You see that from the various, all, all these meetings I attend and everything else. And that that is, I'm not going to necessarily say it's unique to Greenville, but in the sense there's always fears that we're going to grow to the point where we are just a suburb of Grand Rapids. I think because people take so much pride in this city, I, I don't think that's in danger of happening. And, and that's credit to the people who were born here, grew up here. And I mean, there's a reason we're, you know, we're about to approach the, what, 60th anniversary of the Danish festival, I think, uh-huh. this year. And you know, that was a festival that was started based on the Danish heritage of the community. Right, so yeah. efforts by people who were just looking even further back in time. So, um, you know, people that move here obviously can bring lots of great perspectives as well. As much as I may have unintentionally insulted others earlier regarding, you know, no, they're just just as valuable. When you, you find the much broader cross-section of people, they feel very united with that heritage, but mm-hmm. they also appreciate appreciate the growth in the area that the area has sure. experienced, yeah. too. I'll go back to what my experience with um, living in Colorado. I uh, I grew up in Lowell. It mm-hmm. was very much more a small town. Um, and for me, moving to Boulder, I like I was I figured, OK, well, I'm going to see a very different, different world there. And yes, Boulder is a very different mm-hmm. world. One of the things that I found to be so jarring about living in this around the Denver area was the fact that everything was so brand new. Mm. Like there was no there was no center point of so many of the towns because mm. they had only been there for 20, 30 years. There was no downtown that you could point to. The people who created the um the foundation of of that area. Right. Everything was built up around a King Supers and a Walmart. Yeah. It was weirdly dissonant for, for me. So coming yeah. back to to an area where we've invested into uh, to rejuvenating the downtown, which is mm, because yeah. so many small towns have lost that. Um, and while we you're, grow. You're embracing so, the, both, the best of both yeah, worlds. Yeah, so there. we're very lucky in that respect. Mm-hmm. What do you think keeps you here? A lot of it, um, it's family. Um, you know, like I said, to lead off, I grew up in this area. Um, my two best friends are still my best friends from elementary school. You know, and one of those friends I went to college with. Um, they now, one lives in uh, St. Joe, the other lives in uh, the Ada area, but we still talk regularly. And then, of course, there's my family. My, my parents still live in the same home my dad's lived in since he was four years old on Lincoln Lake oh. Road. A sister and brother-in-law, we, we now have three kids, ages seven months to seven years old, who live one block down the street from where I reside now, over by Baldwin Heights. They're all very close by. Uh-huh. And then I've been dating my girlfriend or nearly five years uh, adding all those aspects together it would be difficult to uproot myself um and and you know I, I, i'm not i'm confident i would be fine on my own i've i've definitely experienced that comfort of having family close by uh-huh. um which is, is it was always instilled in me you know especially from my dad you know big focal point on family i mean our family 
gathering. We didn't just have Christmas in our living room. You know, we'd still have that little Christmas gathering Christmas morning, but we'd also have the Smith family gathers, 30, 40 people at a relative's house. And, you know, the importance of family uh, and and maintaining those relationships, it was just uh, kind of drilled into me as a child. And to this day, I still hold that in high esteem with the paper and in covering this community. And hopefully, you know, people have come to me like, oh, they'll stop it and talk to me at Starbucks or something. Want my person, what's happening in the community, what's been going on. And was like I said, selfishly, that I, I, it's warning in a sense. I'm like, oh, they trust my opinion or, or my take on things. Or Which is kind or, of ironic because you have to keep it. You know, and I try, and I try <laughs> not to get into my opinions on it. I try to or so uh, reiterate what, what occurred. And I can say about what went down. Maybe didn't make it in the article. And occasionally, I might throw my two cents in there. My two cents will never be in the story. Right. But, you know, if I'm pa- talking to somebody in passing and they, they ask me, I'm not going to. I'm not going to riff sering. You still have to be a person. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. There's that aspect of it too. Yeah. So that, that, that a lot of that altogether, that and, and my job, I, I do enjoy it. Nobody goes into being a journalist to make a fortune and I'm not going to do that. I can relate uh, to. Yep. But, but I do uh, work a job that I enjoy very times, especially as our staff has gotten smaller, but our responsibilities have either stayed the same or increased. Um, but I, I, I enjoy the work that I do. I enjoy being able to tell these stories and, and relay the, the news that's important and, uh, and do that in a way that, is, uh, that they, the majority appear to appreciate and respect. You have to have days where you're just like, oh, I just don't want to do this today. <laughs> yeah, it happens. There are definitely stories I don't care to write. And whether I'm not interested in that topic or if it's just difficult, you know, I don't. This last couple months, we've had some really tragic events. Uh-huh. Um, and as difficult as it is to sit down with those families and write about being killed in a car accident or a local entrepreneur succumbing to a heart attack and have these hard conversations with these families, but it is, you know, I'm obligated to tell the story of that that individual and why they were, you know, there's a reason so many people in this community rallied around Jamison Lafferty and that family and, and Greenville Strong, became, Jacket Strong became such a huge thing for, still is, uh, you know, there, there, it's... Um, there, there's a story to tell there. And the same thing with, with Frickle Peterson. There's, there is, that was somebody who has invested so much of her own time and money to create a, a destination for this community for people to come visit. And then all of a sudden they're gone. And, uh, you know, I felt compelled to sit down and, and tell their story, um, through tears and lots of tissues sitting down, speaking with those family members. And I credit them for taking the time to speak with me mm-hmm. and trusting me to, tell that story in a way that will be respectable to the person and the family as well. It's not easy doing those things by any means. I, I, it'd be much easier to just say uh, we can run an obituary and leave it at that. Right. But, you know, just two, two recent examples of something that I've been trying, but and just, you take a little bit of that at night, but as I do, you, you wake up the next day and it's, it's another day of meetings and stories to, to cover. So, you know, out with one and in with the next. Please tell me you get vacation from time to time. <laughs> I, I, I have, I, you know, I have three weeks vacation. Okay. So yeah, it's, and I do get to use those days. It's tough because I still get the messages and text messages from people and I still get alerts on my phone of a breaking news event. And mm-hmm. if I'm not out of the state, it's, it's hard for me to ignore it completely. Right. Um, it's, it's hard to really detach myself completely from the job, even when on vacation. But And the nice part is, is because of the flexibility of the job, a lot of my writing is done at home. Uh-huh. Um, there's that comfort of, you know, at any given moment, I can quickly take a mental break in the backyard and, and throw the Frisbee one of them and, and then head back in and then kind of reset myself, keep finishing the story. So it's as busy as it is and as mentally draining as it gets. I, there are times I do get to step away and just kind of decompress. Well, that's 
Yeah. What don't we know about you? Don't you know about me? Um, gosh. Um, I feel like maybe I should have given you some notice on this question. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, to be fair, for the, for anyone who's listening, yeah, this is all uh, uh, very fresh uh, coming at me fast. But no, that's that's good. I decided to give him a little bit of his own back. Yeah. It's it's what I do every day to everybody else. So I ask people <laughs> questions on the spot constantly. And and so so it's only fair that I answer in return. Um, don't know about. Um, I'll, I'll be brutally honest. And I'll say I, I am one of the biggest procrastinators you could ever find. Despite having daily deadlines and everything else, I'm, I'm maybe that's why. Maybe that's why you have the daily deadlines. It, it's because impossible. You need them. Yes, yeah. I, I'm just. It's tough for me. You know, I should be waking up and writing the very minute I'm I'm up and having my coffee. But I, it's, it's I find myself waiting more and more closer to my deadlines mm-hmm. to finally sit down and start putting something together. It's a terrible habit. Um, sometimes I find myself putting out better work when I'm under that pressure, mm-hmm. being trying to be more. I already write long stories as it is. So if I can find a way to have to make myself be a little more concise, that works. But, and unfortunately that applies to multiple aspects of my life. It's not just work. It's, it's tough for me to, my, my leaves still are not raked, um, <laughs> you know, and, and the city has come down my street twice already. I just, uh, I wait to the last minute on a lot of things. And uh, it's, a, it, again, it's a terrible trait, admittedly, but I, I, I've done it ever, all, all the way back to high school. And I, I can remember sitting in that first 15 minutes of the school day watching the Channel One news and everything else. And I'm scrambling to get my homework done because I chose not to do it the night before. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. This job almost kind of ended up being perfect for me because a lot of it is on the fly mm-hmm. and just really quickly having to turn things around shortly. And that I can do. I, I can do that, you know, really, really well. It's when I said, oh, you have two weeks to finish this story. Yeah. Then, then, then it's, it's, I, I wait, I, I press things up against deadlines too often, but because the nature of my job requires me to write six, seven, eight stories a week and write them on a daily basis and have constant deadlines right in front of me, that seems to work out pretty well. So, so I guess, you know, maybe I only say that as I think people may not know about me because a lot of people only see me in my capacity as a reporter out and about, um, I'm sure, you know, if anyone were to ask my girlfriend, Kara, they'd be like, oh, Corey said he's a procrastinator. She would give the biggest eye roll and agree wholeheartedly. Because the other thing I'll give away a little hidden secret that I'm embarrassed of is um, I, I'm not an avid reader of my own publication. And part of that is probably because I write every day. And by the end of the day, I don't have the, maybe the mental capacity to sit down and read the same, the, the paper that contains my own work. Uh-huh. But people will often come up to me and, and ask about other stories in the paper. And I regrettably will say, I actually haven't read that yet. Unless I'm editing that particular piece, I just don't get my eyes on the paper as much as I should. So it's another reason I'm not going to hold it against people who necessarily don't read it every day or don't subscribe mm-hmm. because I myself don't always get to it. But That makes sense. It's kind of like working in a bakery and getting yeah. really sick of pastries. Like, yeah, I mean, if, you're, yeah. if you're immersed in it, like, people just assume I know every single word that's in that paper. They just, uh, by the nature, because I work there, they think I... Not the wizard of the daily news. No, no, I'm not the one putting the page together. So I have a great editor who does that and, and news there as well. So... Um, well, some of us th- or some people think that we've read all the books in the library. Well, there so, you go. So, okay, so we're going to pretend that there is such a thing as a library principal. You get sent to the library principal's office. What are you there for? I can tell you exactly what I'm there for. I don't know if this is an issue or not, but being on my phone too much. Um, what are you doing on your phone would be that disruptive, though. So, okay. <laughs> um, and so so I guess it would be disruptive because I would probably be watching some sort of video podcast. Okay. I'd be scrolling through Facebook and stumbling upon whatever random ad slash video generates my interest that I'm just kind of abiding my time and like, oh, I just need something to do. 
Um, or I may be playing a game. I have one or two games on my phone just uh-huh. to distract myself. And or I'm checking one of my six fantasy football team scores, uh, which is that's a whole nother passion of mine. Um, six. Six. Wow. Hey, to be fair, it was five. And then um, my girlfriend, Kara, came to me and said, hey, uh, I've been asked to join a league. Can we have a team together? OK. And I told her. So said, it's five and a half. Yeah. I said, this will be my sixth team. Just full transparency here. You're OK, okay. with that. And, How and much overlap is there with the teams? Like, do you do you have the same picks or do you spread it out? I try to sp- I try to I try to spread it out. I, I hate to, to to put all my eggs in one basket, player wise. So I try to you know by picking my my fourth, fifth, sixth drafts, I try to shake things up a little bit okay. and go for some different players. But a lot of those leagues I have been in since high school. So okay. you know it's it's a lot of it's a one way that I stay close to high school friends as well. Mm-hmm. Um, with my phone, I, I it's it's tough for me to put that down. One. My work emails on it, my personal emails on it, my, you know, everything is through that phone. So just by habit, I'm constantly grabbing it, and then oh. I get distracted by it. So, or if I were to be sent to the principal's office in the library, it would be, you know, they'd be say, "Why are why are you not reading? Why are you not engaging in some sort of event? Why, why are you sitting on your phone? Why are you chuckling to yourself? Get those AirPods out of your ears." Um, you know, because I, I think I would just be a little too disconnected from everything. So in your reality, apparently not only is there a library principal, but librarians are me too. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I just, I'm assuming I'm being called in because I was doing something wrong, but that's the only experiences I had going to the principal's office when I was oh, young. Oh yeah, that's fair. But, that's fair. But, but not, not that they happen very often, but you know, I, I didn't really know my principals all that well because yeah, I, I wasn't called office right, that often, admittedly. So. so, you know, aside from what at Lincoln Heights in elementary school, I think if you were good, you got to go, uh, you got to go with them for lunch. We went to Burger King one that time. That's terrifying. I didn't, it wasn't cafeteria food. You know, I think that's I think fair. It was back. That's I think fair. it was his last name was Sean's. It would have been Mr. Sean's. And we went to Burger King. This is like second grade. OK. Uh, and we would. Yeah. So so there were positive experiences with principals as well. OK. So, yeah. And, and the ones I engage with in a professional capacity now are all fantastic. So, it, you know, just there's there's my personal bias. So once you. Yeah. Once you've gotten Pat, like, OK, I got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not technically in the school anymore, but I could still get in trouble. You never know. Um, okay. One last question. Okay, sure. If you could be a contestant on any game show, which one would you choose? Well, I already did Dancing with the Local Stars. Yes. Okay. How, and how did you, you feel about how that how that came out? It, All things considered, it, it turned out great. That, that was a scenario that, um, you know, of course I said yes, knowing that it was going to raise funds for mental health challenge and all that. I have interviewed plenty of, of students who I've heard firsthand how challenging the last couple of years have been. Right. On a, you name the issue. It's, it's, it's been compounded upon from COVID. And so I said, absolutely, I will go ahead and do that. Then my procrastination kicked in and I was not rehearsing as much <laughs> as I should have been. And I, my first dance partner who I was supposed to be with, Araya Brembre at the time, was a wonderful uh, student and now was just fantastic saxophonist, I think, at CMU. Um, she was my dance partner. We never even actually got together for rehearsal, mostly my fault. And at one point I was about ready to drop out. And then one of the other contestants, Mike Walsh, who's the principal of Baldwin Heights, mm-hmm. kind of blew his knee out, oh, couldn't participate. No. And so his dance partner, um, uh, th- there was nothing she could do. Um, but she's all of a sudden without a partner mm-hmm. and it wasn't fair to her. So we basically said, hey, you know what, how about we get paired together. Araya, it's too, it's unfair to her to ask her to really quickly still help choreograph, choreograph something, you know, this late in the game. And so I jumped in and they already had half the routine done. And I said, show me what you guys have been doing and we'll finish it up. 
and uh, we we jumped in and uh, uh, you know it, it was a lot of effort put in in the final three weeks making sure we'd be there. But clearly, you'd have it no other way, right? And, and that's the way. And, and ours was probably the shortest dance up there. But hey, we fortunately won first place for fundraising, so that you know it worked out well in the end. So. Um, not counting that experience, which again, when it was stressful at times, I, I brought a lot of that stress upon myself due to the procrastination. But and I do have to know: um, did did Mike say anything to you about your performance? You know, uh, uh, not such to me, but for for Kennedy, the amount of work she put into a new partner. Oh, okay. Um, it was tremendous, and right. and all credit goes to her because I, other than Dance Dance Revolution, um, most people are <laughs> that's going to go over their head. For me, at my state, it was a big deal at the time. And in high school, that was something that, you know, but, you know, that. If that, you're a millennial, you get that reference. Yeah. And, and, but otherwise, you know, that's the only dancing I'd ever done besides slow dancing at a school dance. And so it was all new to me. And she, she worked with me so well and was so patient. And, um, and, you know, and Mike was aware as well because she'd expressed the same traits with him. And so, you know, he has done it two years in a row now. I'd love to see her come out here and do it for the third year when Pro was out there on stage. But if I were to go on any other game show, my goodness. Um, but, you know, what I would think would be fun is more a, a reality show or a competitive reality show. I, I, I have enough. I've watched enough of them, you know, guilty pleasures. You want something you want to put something that you don't you can just turn your brain off. Oh. And Do you have uh, a favorite? favorite boy. So this is going to sound really sad. I don't have a favorite. I don't but... think there's anything on the spectrum of reality TV, TV shows <laughs> yeah. that people will be like, yes, that's a sophisticated sure, answer to Sure, sure. It's, it's hard because I watch more analytical perspective. I always go, no, I, I feel like this person was coaxed by Push to say X, Y, and Z. Ah, I see. Okay. And, um, You're looking for the meta in the situation. Right, yeah. And, and so the ones that I see because the, the Kara has her shows that she enjoys and they're, it's it's The Bachelor, it's The Bachelorette, right. it's, mm-hmm. it's Bachelor in Paradise, it's all of those things. The ones where they're competing, I don't even they're all called, but the ones where they're, they're you know, the ones that involve competition and partners and groups and, you know, it's, I don't know, outdoors. There was one, I don't even know what it was called, but it's a new one where they were um, out in some South American country and competing out in the wild. And that, that would always, that would be a lot of fun, I feel like, to put yourself out there and be disconnected from your cell phone and uh-huh. be trying to compete against others. A lot of the other reality shows, uh, what was this one you may be familiar with called The Circle? Um, when it was all basically through social media, like uh-huh. everyone's trapped in their own rooms, trapped, but they're they're isolated in their own rooms. And they communicate on social media, not knowing if the p- other people real or not. They could be catfished. Okay. They could be. And that was always compelling to me. And I was like, man, I feel like I could be one of those contestants. I feel like I could, <laughs> you know, be on there and and just be isolated, be a little bit of a introvert and and communicate with others, not knowing who they are and. You know, while still trying to, yeah, it's, it always seemed interesting to me. So a reality TV show would be fun. Not not any sort of dating one, though. That that would be well be Right, yes. I, I couldn't handle that emotion coming into play, whether it's legitimate emotion or not. It's just, yeah, it's it's that would be too much for me. <laughs> yeah, that, see, that's why I'd rather do Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring and, me the trivia. You know, and I feel like when it comes to trivia, so I'm, I'm terrible at that stuff. I'm at retaining information and, and, and names and other things like that. So I... I think I would flounder when it comes right, to something yeah. like that. But um, shows that involve more, not that I'm physically gifted by any means, but something that involves competition with obstacle courses, things like that. I don't know what I expected, but <laughs> but that was a fun answer. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I appreciate you letting me turn the tables on you a little bit and and, and put the questions to you instead. Yeah. Um, and I hope that you manage to file your story on time. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you're welcome for contributing to your excuses for procrastinating. Yep. There we go. That's, that's my life every day. So, you know, it's how I work. <laughs>
So we're back with Kara. So during the in-between period, I asked her whether she's a true crime person because at the library, we are very evenly divided, I would say, as to which people really like true crime, like probably to an unhealthy level and are just disgusted by the idea of it. And I won't spoil who is who because I don't want to out anybody without their permission. I will acknowledge that I am a big true crime person. Um, a few months back, we did a social media thing where we listed a handful of um, things that individuals on the staff knew too much about or knew a lot about. And then people had to guess what staff member it was. And I can't remember everything that was on my list, but one of them was the Manson family. And I didn't realize when we did that as an exercise as a group that it would end up on social media. And I thought afterwards, oh, my gosh, people are going to think that the director has some issues to be concerned about because who knows that much about the Manson family? And the answer is me. Um, just It's just one of those intriguing periods in history, the 60s and Hollywood. And like, it's just a, and the idea that all of these teenagers were living on like a ranch. And yeah. <clears throat> So in, in that respect, it's very interesting to me and very good, certainly. So where are you in the true crime spectrum? I also think it's very interesting. I have, I've, I've watched my fair share of documentary. Um, I definitely think the cult stuff is very interesting, like from a psychological perspective. Like, why do people do this? Like, how does this happen? How does it elevate to get somewhere as bad as like Jonestown or the Manson family? Or even, I know there's right now the current kind of cult situation that's happening is this chain called the yellow deli subs um that like they're, they're familiar with this so now I'm um it's i'm pretty sure it's like a chain okay of restaurants, uh, but they have people who work there they pay them very like unfair wages or if at all um and they have them basically work on their farm to grow like the ingredients um in a little like commune situation it's very sketchy it's I think they have restaurants in the sea, I want to say. Interesting. Okay. First of all, I'll just say this. My comfort shows is like Ghost Adventures. Which maybe shouldn't specifically be placed together, but I think they are. There's a weird overlap. That's like where I'm at, I guess, on the true crime spectrum. Where I have an issue with it is when people market it in a way that is insensitive to the families um, or the people who like experienced everything obviously if it's a horrible person like charles manson slander him all you want <laughs> like <laughs> um, like if it's something that's uh, not a case that's closed or if it's like a missing persons case if you're discussing this and then you transition right into a HelloFresh ad that's like i don't know that just sparks something yeah and the world of true crime has definitely really mm -hmm. exploded on the pa podcast side yeah. of things yeah there are a lot of true crime podcasts and i I've jumped into some true crime mm -hmm. podcasts and then found myself moving away from them for yeah. various reasons, too, because some of them are problematic or that like there's one and I can't remember the name of it. So I'm not going to try to mm -hmm. remember the name of it, but that they got in trouble maybe a year ago for plagiarism, for healing research from other publications and whatnot. So, yeah, it's a tricky universe mm -hmm. in and of itself. But, yeah, it, it traffics in human misery. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so there is a morbid and voyeuristic component. Yeah. And, and then, of course, there's a whole cross-section of people who are, like, obsessed with serial killers, mm -hmm. but in a way that, like, sort of... Unhealthy. How are they obsessed with them? Yeah. I, Almost I'm, I'm to just, the point of, like, idolization. I think oh. that's the word I was looking mm -hmm. for there, where they are putting them on a pedestal, yeah. which it's like, they were really creepy. There was... I, it was either on Netflix or Hulu. I didn't watch it. Um, It was, like, a Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, Iope, yes. Iope, yes. I think they call it. Um, with Ross Lynch and people, I saw people who were 
saying things about Jeffrey Dahmer that, because Ross Lynch, who was a very attractive man, was playing him. And it was just uncomfortable because that was not a great person. Yeah. And I know that Jeffrey Dahmer was one of those individuals who was very publicly filled with remorse, mm-hmm. too. Like he he really hated himself, too, which, I mean, doesn't make it OK. And he did some really disgusting things mm-hmm. that I won't give it, get into because this is still supposed to be family yeah. friendly. It's, it's weird how get into stuff like that. But I also feel like anybody who is a history nerd, mm-hmm. which I am as well, you can't help being vaguely yeah, interested exactly. in that stuff. There's a certain amount of human suffering mm-hmm. that, that we document historically exactly. as well. Mm-hmm. You talked about the fact that you were more do- interested in the domestic yeah. side. Of it. A lot of what we think of with with historical scholarship is very war-oriented. Yeah. And most of you know, the stuff we know about um, ancient history and the super old stuff and even the more modern stuff where we just don't really know a lot about a certain group of people. A lot of that information comes from burial practices and how people um, honor their dead and how that sort of ties into their culture as a whole. Um, so it's definitely very important and I don't think it's a bad thing to be interested in the more morbid side of things but it's just you know, as with anything um, it's very important to Think critically with the media that you're consuming and don't just, especially with what you're saying about like the plagiarism when it comes to podcasts, I think it's a new thing where anybody can make podcasts. And so it's not monitored in a way. Right. Like the yeah. Same as an academic sphere might be. Right. So um, much like YouTube, you have to, yeah. or really, I guess any source of, of information or, you know, source of whatever you want to call, you, you definitely have to use a somewhat discerning eye. Yeah, definitely. Having said that, are there any like big areas that you're like, okay, yeah, I learned more than I needed to know about this? I watch a lot of documentaries. Um, one of my very niche interests is in um, like folklore around the world, specifically like comparative mythology and stuff like that. And that is something I'm very into. I learn a lot about like how different cultures identify what a fairy is, oh, like that sort of thing. I think that's so interesting because it just says a lot about like how people like throughout the world were you a ghost story person as a when you were younger absolutely it freaked me out but i think i'm at the point now where i like it doesn't freak me out anymore Uh which is like you're an academic did you ever read the the alvin schwartz scary stories to tell in the dark books Mm -hmm. when you were a kid absolutely i was actually thinking about everybody knows the story about the girl with the velvet yes with the yeah and that was really i was thinking about that a lot the other day and one of the books on my to be read list is her body and other parties. Okay. And she, the author, did a retelling of that story from a more like feminist perspective. And I read it and it was, I really enjoyed it. I thought she did a really good job. It was, um, it was just very, that story I feel like sticks with people so much because it's just her head fell off. Whoa. Whoa. That's, <laughs> That's a beautiful summation of it. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, it's, and, that's what makes me think of that that series in particular, because, of course, mm-hmm. the scary stories books were yeah. they were not stories that were written by Alvin Schwartz. They were collected mm-hmm. from urban legends and folklore um, and had the most terrifying illustrations that. Yeah, like they did. I, I cannot believe those books were meant for children. I can still vividly picture mm-hmm. um, some of those images. And the one that always stuck with me was called Harold. And it's about a dummy that comes to life. Yeah, yeah. That one was yeah. freaky. Okay, so are you ready for me to ask you some stupid questions? Absolutely. Have you ever tried cutting your own hair? Yes, I cut my own hair. Currently? Yeah. I've 
I started cutting my own hair during COVID and just kind of kept doing it. Um, sometimes my bangs, I usually have bangs, but right now I, they're growing out. Hasn't been an issue, really. Do you have any other homesteading tendencies? Do you make your own clothes? Um, I wish I could. I don't have time. Um, probably don't have the skill either right now. I could eventually, I'm sure. But I fashion is one of my very most favorite interests. One day. One day I will make my own clothes. Being an expert level thrifter is nothing to be yes. sniffed at. And like hunting hunting and gathering skills. You know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you and I have talked about this a little bit, that it does take a certain amount of intuition to to put things together in a way that that suggests a particular sort of cohesive style and You've got your own little little house on the prairie Thank thing. Thank you. Kind of my house on the this is my house on the prairie dress. Obviously, yeah, can't really see it, but this is my house on the prairie dress. That's what we're I gonna call we're it. gonna have to start a fashion corner with just like oh, what is Kara so wearing fun. today? Shell too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Christine too, because Christine. hers is very costume oriented. But I yeah, love Christine's she's, outfits. She is a she they is a character, and she has many characters in and of herself. What's the most a rebellious thing you've ever done that no one knows <laughs> i don't think i really have any i don't like i don't really I don't really you're not a rebel no not okay. really like i kind of you just have a very healthy relationship yeah. with your family that's good you just just a well-rounded I mean, individual uh, my mom has always been like kind of like more of an adult than i am so okay that's kind of where i'm at personally but she she says that about you that yeah. you're more of a mm -hmm. you're bella swan Thank you. I mean, actually, I don't know. I um. So do you remember the Squishmallows? Yes. This time I got the Loch Ness Monster. And the reason I got the Loch Ness Monster one was because Miss Bella Swan's most iconic quote, which is, you nicknamed my daughter after the Loch Ness Monster in Breaking Dawn Part. Yep. One of them. One of them. Um, and that is my most favorite movie scene ever. So I don't want to condone Twilight <clears throat> as a. It's okay. It's okay. I need to tone down my judginess anyway. You no, know, it's I view it as like a camp thing. So like it's um it's bad and it's good. It's so bad that it's good. And that's why I like Twilight. Like I don't think I've ever had such a reaction. Like going getting together with my friends and watching Twilight together is like truly one of the best experiences. Like yeah. it's so fun. It's like The Bachelor. It's like that sort of vibe. It's like just ridiculous and silly and, and fun. You enjoy it in its context. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. that's, I don't, I don't think anybody has ever said thank you to being referred to as Bella Swan. But that was, yeah, that was I the mean, vibe that I got. She's an icon. She's a legend. I don't, uh, well, I wouldn't, Bella Swan, she's introduced in the books as wearing a khaki skirt. And I would not wear a khaki skirt. It was from its time. Okay, let's do one more. What famous person would play you in the movie about your life? And so one of our lovely patrons always comes in and tells me that I look like Anne Hathaway. And then she asks some of our co- whoever's working on desk with me. I can see that. If, um, if I look like Anne Hathaway. And I've never really seen it before. Like, Anne Hathaway is a beautiful woman and I love her. Um, I love The Princess Diaries. You know, I love Ella Enchanted. Um, but I've never considered myself, like, to look too much like her. Um, and that also, that only happened to me in Michigan. It happened Interesting. here multiple times. And then it happened when I broke my phone and had to go to Verizon and fix my phone. The guy like kept telling me I looked like a Hathaway and I was like, okay, 
<laughs> Can I have my phone back? So there's something about the way that Anne Hathaway looks on a screen in Michigan. Maybe. I don't know. That relates back to you. I really don't know. but that, Maybe it's just your current vibe. That could be as well. Projecting Anne. I don't think that's a bad thing to project. Hopefully, I mean, which version of Anne Hathaway, though? Like, are we talking, oh gosh, are we talking no Princess Diaries? Are we talking, like, Devil Wears Prada? Are we talking Les Miserables? Like, there's some options here. with any of them. Okay. I'd be fine with any of them. Um, I think ideally. Princess Diaries 2. Okay. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah, <laughs> ideally. Just, okay. With the dresses mm-hmm. and yeah, the whole yeah, thing. Okay, absolutely. perfect. Yeah, I can see that. Like that Thank seems you. logical. Yeah. The only celebrity I've ever been told that I look like and I don't think it's true. Mm-hmm. Definitely not now. Um, Laura Prepon from, um, you would possibly be more likely to know her from Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch that show? Yeah. Okay, she was the girlfriend that, yeah. like, got her in prison. I see that. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, she still had red hair, mm-hmm. and she was in that 70s show. And that's when I was – there was a period in which I had red hair and not hot right. pink. And I had much longer hair at one point. Um, and I guess that was the connection. But, yeah. How many hair colors would you say you've gone through? In my lifetime? Oh, I don't know. Seven or eight at least. Nice. In the, in the generals, generally they t- they tend to be in the reddish spectrum mm-hmm. somewhere. So red, pink, purple. Interesting. Um, I did blue for a while in college. Anything with more of a yellow tint to it doesn't work on me. I can't I do it. green. I was bleach blonde for a really long time, and that I was blonde in high school. Yeah, we all have to go through it at some point. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a rough patch. <laughs> it was not a good look. You would. I'm sure you would have looked much less like Anne Hathaway yeah. as a blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who is also not native to this area, mm-hmm. but apparently slightly more native than you are, welcome to Thank the Greenville you. area. Um, and of course, we're happy to have you at our library for as long as we have you, because we know that we're not going to have you forever. Because yeah. um, you're going to, I'm sure, go on to bigger and um, dustier things. Yeah, exactly. Um, but thank you so much for sitting down with me, especially since I asked me. you at the last minute. Um, and thank you so much to our listeners and take care. <laughs>